From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. This hour, Paul L. Williams, Ph.D., investigates the true motives and consequences of the Pilgrim Society. Early members of the Pilgrim Society included J.P. Morgan, Andrew Carnegie, Andrew Mellon, Cornelius Vanderbilt, Paul Warburg, Mortimer Schiff, Otto Kahn, and John D. Rockefeller. Although the Pilgrim Society and the powerful men involved are often praised for their philanthropic actions, my uh, guest tonight, Paul Williams, reveals that the society was self-serving and subjected the American people to a brutal system of economic tyranny which is still in place today. Paul Williams is a journalist and author. He served as a consultant for the FBI, editor and publisher of The Metro in Scranton, Pennsylvania, as well as an adjunct professor of humanities at the University of Scranton. He is the co-author or author of a number of books, including Osama's Revenge, The Next 9-11, The Vatican Exposed, Operation Gladio, The Killing of Uncle Sam, and his latest, co-authored by Rodney Howard Brown, is Killing the Planet, How a Financial Cartel Doomed Mankind. Paul, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Well, it's great to be back with you, Richard. I want to delve into the Rockefeller family tree just for a minute here, because a lot of people, they're familiar with John D. Rockefeller. They're familiar with David Rockefeller, who lived to the ripe old age. I think he was 104 or something. But many people may not be familiar with John D. Rockefeller's father, who was a bit of a scoundrel, to say the least. Tell us about his dad. Well, his dad was known as Devil Bill, and he passed himself off as a doctor, as somebody who could cure cancer. And uh, he traveled throughout uh, the, the southern states and the eastern states back in the 1840s and the 1850s. And uh, once again, he, he peddled uh, a cure for cancer. And uh, he called himself Dr. William uh, Livingston. And his real name was, of course, William Rockefeller. He was a horse thief when he went to town and, and sold his snake oil. He would almost always steal a horse and hitch it to his carriage and uh, head out of town. He was also a child molester. He was a, a bigamist. He was a, an, an all-around scoundrel. And he taught his sons how to cheat, and he was very proud of that. He said that I, I teach my sons how to cheat every chance I get and how to make a crooked buck. And that lesson was well-received by his eldest son, John D. Rockefeller who, uh, in the 1870s, managed to gain control by crooked means of the oil industry. The oil industry, uh, of course, was flourishing that time in Pennsylvania, Drake's Folly, they called it. And Rockefeller, by cooking a deal where he got control of all the refineries by making a deal with the railroad companies so that they were charging 
all the other people involved in the oil industry considerably more money to transport their oil than he had to pay. He eventually gained control of all the oil refineries, and by the turn of the 20th century, he controlled 90% of all the oil in the United States. But what was the oil being used for, Paul? Because the automobile was initially, I think, designed to run on ethanol exactly. when Henry Ford conceived the idea. So what was oil being used for back then, primarily? Well, that's why they said Drake's Folly, because when you're going back to the 1860s, there was very little use for oil. The real worth of oil came about in about 1870, when it could be refined into kerosene and used to light lamps throughout the world. Uh, right. This was, of course, before gas. All the houses throughout the United States, because of the development of kerosene, were lit by oil. And what happened is when Henry Ford developed the cars, the automobile industry would be the greatest boom ever for uh, farmers throughout the United States and Canada because the cars would run on fermented vegetables, corn, right. wheat, any vegetable that you could ferment, apples, anything that you could ferment, you could use as fuel. And Ford always believed his cars were built to run on, you know, on, on ethanol. And what Rockefeller did, which was kind of ingenious, Rockefeller funded the prohibition movement uh, to, to outlaw the sale of alcohol throughout the fermented uh, substances throughout the United States. He funded that almost as, uh, single-handedly. So what happened was that the, the farmers then, who were producing moonshine that could have uh, fueled the cars, had to put poison in their ethanol, which made it unusable for, for, for automobiles. So John D. Rockefeller was very, very ingenious. And the entire oil industry was really developed by him. Think about this. Like, to this day, you know, almost everything is run. I mean, all, all the cars. And uh, the, the, the number one fuel throughout the world remains oil. And that was really uh, Rockefeller's uh, ingenuity. But by the so, turn of the, so, the 20th so century... So without prohibition, excuse me, Paul, but this is important, uh, because this is something I hadn't really connected, which you just did so brilliantly... And that is, without prohibition, if prohibition hadn't happened, we'd be driving around cars fueled on <clears throat> ethanol. Absolutely. So did Absolutely. he bribe congressmen in order to, to, to bring in, uh, what was that? Was that the 13th Amendment, the prohibition? Yeah, but, yeah and, but, and what he did was even, even, even more ingenious. He didn't even work through the government. What he did was he worked through local temperance societies and through churches. He set up a foundation. And he would give these uh, these temperance leagues and uh, uh, people who were uh, and church groups. He would give them incredible amounts of money to run a campaign about to uh, so that uh, alcohol would be outlawed. And he really did that from the grassroots. But the foundation, what happened was with the foundations that he set up, fueled the prohibition movement. It was totally Rockefeller. Fascinating. Fascinating. Something I came now, from, right? How did and writing uh, "Killing the Planet"? But this guy was <laughs> John D. Rockefeller. Uh, was well, first of all, he, he, he not only he not only created the oil industry and the natural gas industry, but he also funded the Russian Revolution. People aren't aware of that. 
He also was a main sponsor of socialism. He also gave rise to uh, really the educational systems throughout the United States and Canada through his foundations. And that was all very ingenious because he, he could control education and, 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 and by that uh, really control uh, the minds of, of, of the people of North America simply by giving the colleges and universities incredible amounts of money. And the, the colleges and universities became completely reliant on his foundations to meet their expenses. As a matter of fact, to this day, and this is, this is interesting, Richard, uh, one-third of the budget of all the colleges and universities in the United States is, uh, comes from foundations, largely the Rockefeller Foundations. So they wow. continue to control education. Well, let me just back up a minute to the uh, the Russian Revolution. Uh, oh. Why did he Why did he get behind the Bolsheviks? Why did he support the revolution? Well, he always wanted. He always believed that competition was a sin, and he always wanted to be the sole provider of the, the commodity that he was he was invested in, whether it be natural gas or oil or later even banking. Uh, but you see, socialism—I mean, even communism—suited his ends because socialism you had the, the complete control of industry by the government, and that's all well and good. But the government still has to get money, and if he could control the money that's being provided to the government, he could control the whole nine yards. He realized that from the beginning. Trotsky, Leon Trotsky, as a matter of fact, before the Russian Revolution, was uh, he, he was housed in in a property owned by Standard Oil. Aha! Uh-huh. He was trans <laughs> he was he, he was transported to Russia by the Rockefellers, and they also fascinating. They also after the, the uh, turn of the century, sponsored almost all the leading. Uh, uh, communist uh, propaganda uh, uh, machines throughout North America. Uh, the newspapers, the periodicals, the radio programs. Amazing. Now, Standard Oil, Teddy Roosevelt uh, decided he wanted to bust up that monopoly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't work, though, exactly, did it? Why, did it? why, why well, not? See that once, once again, you, you got a guy who's, who's really... You, you got This is one thing. John D. Rockefeller, from the time he was born, and the Rockefellers to this day, they're born with the pathological fear of poverty that they're going to lapse back into uh, into the state from which the the, the great great grandfather uh, 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 where he lived, and uh, they, they, there's there, there's a pathological fear of once again of poverty. So they want to control everything. And they, 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 they realized that they had to control, uh, you know, they, they, they wanted to control the government. They wanted to control education. When they developed, uh, uh petrochemicals, they, they found out a way to control the medical industry. So that to this day, that the, the schools, the medical schools receive most of their funding from the, the Rockefeller foundations and the doctors are taught to, uh, deal in petrochemicals. Holistic doctors were put out of business, all by the Rockefellers. So, the, so even even the drugs that people are taking for cancer, chemotherapy is, is mustard gas. That's controlled by the Rockefeller family. Uh, the the number one controllers of of, of radium uh, are the Rockefeller foundations and and families. So uh, when people are, are treated with uh, 
with with uh, with radium, and when they're treated with chemotherapy, they're increasing the Rockefeller fortune. Unbelievable. Do you have an estimate, an estimated worth of the family right now? The American uh, American Legal uh, Association. Right. I do want to get to that, but I I just wanted to ask you about the the. uh, Do you have a handle on how much the estimated wealth of the the Rockefeller uh, family is at this point? Are we talking trillions? Oh man, it's it's. But you got to realize that first of all, Richard, just just can. And most people are unaware. We're not talking about conspiracy. This is all fact. The number one share, the shareholder, the one who controls, the one in family that controls most of the shares of the Federal Reserve is the Rockefeller family. Let's start with that. that right. They, right. So, look, at their money is, is, oh, man, it's, 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 it goes into everything. Everything that you, every, every, everything that you, uh, uh, everything that you need in order for you to live, including even the green industries, all all these, the the food, the food in Monsanto, all the food industries, the genetically modified uh, organisms that, that constitute a lot of the food that we buy, all that comes from the Rockefellers. So, mm-hmm. how in the world can you you estimate their wealth? You can look at one thing at Chase Manhattan Bank. What is that worth? You know, you go from there to what are the, what are the various oil companies? You, you, you look at the different oil companies. Uh, you know, uh, Atlantic Richfield, Exxon. Uh, they're all owned by the Rockefellers. There's no well. That's Rockefeller. I was mentioning. I was mentioning Teddy Roosevelt. I was mentioning Teddy Roosevelt trying to smash the monopoly, but that's what happened. He just formed all these other little companies, right? They're, he got around all, it. That, that was that served him even the, the Rockefellers even to a greater extent. Ah. Um, I mentioned this to you last time we spoke, Paul, but uh, I just wanted to mention it to my listeners on this uh, this program. You were mentioning that, you know, how the Rockefellers even get behind the green movement. And uh, up here, of course, we have uh, the oil sands uh, out in Alberta. And uh, they can't get their oil to market because they're landlocked. And we have a federal government that has not managed to build pipelines to the West Coast so that we could get that oil on tanker ships and over to... Uh, overseas markets, so it's it's landlocked, and of course the uh, the the oil industry in Alberta has been uh, vilified uh, by all these environmental groups uh, who who insist on keeping the oil in the ground and so forth. Well, uh, a uh, an investigator by the name of Vivian Krauss out in Alberta uh, did some heavy heavy research, and who did she find was funding? All of these environmental groups that was trying to keep oh, yeah. Alberta oil in the ground, the Rockefeller Foundation. Right. 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 Uh, Unbelievable. Absolutely. And that there, there, you see that what's going to happen in the future, I believe, is that uh, the, the world's money, which is based on nothing right now, it's not based on the gold standard, it's not based on even petrodollars anymore. It's going to be based on carbon emissions. Gore was aware of that. Uh, mm. And you, you, there were different com- countries right now are dealing in trading uh, r- rationing coupons for carbon, so that uh, if if a, if if a country can amass a great deal of these of these coupons, uh, <clears throat> they're going to be able to to use the most energy. And the the other countries that that don't have. The, the, uh, the, the don't have the, 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 the rationing uh, coupons uh, will be relying
relying on you know uh and 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 the people who hold the 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 the, the coupons uh for their existence but we're seeing right. that take place right now uh that that the, the the future once again the, the all the currency in the world will be based on carbon emissions the rockefellers are aware of that so they're very heavily involved now in green energy <laughs> they're, they're, they have they have us coming and going involved right now in climate change and in in, in different forms of uh in procedures including harp uh that can control the climate so uh I mean, that's all, it's all, everything that we do right now, this is what I found when I was doing the research for killing the planet. I, I think that, that, that the Rockefellers, what they started, that, what that family started in, during the 20th century, uh, is, affects every single person on the globe right now. Previously, we're just coming up to a break here, but I just wanted to mention, you know, previously, uh, after John D. Rockefeller, we had, uh, a number of the Rockefeller families that were sort of very highly, they were public figures. We had uh, Nelson Rockefeller, of course, who was a vice president. We had uh, uh, Jay Rockefeller. We had David Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. They've all passed on. Who is sort of the face now of the Rockefeller family? We don't hear much about this person. Well, I, I mean, there, there, there's so many different. There, you're not dealing with the fifth generation. People like Stephen Rockefeller, you know, Lawrence Rockefeller. I mean. Jay Rockefeller's sons, Jay Rockefeller Jr., right. you know, uh, John D. Rockefeller the fifth. You know, I mean, they're, they're 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 still around. The family is still, of course, very active and very much involved. But really, what they gave rise to was a a, a, a machine, a huge corporate machine that I, I don't know who controls it right now, but it controls us. And Indeed. that's the important thing because it's it's all it was all for in, in the beginning about gain about the putting an end to capitalism about spreading uh, socialism uh, and we're seeing it all come to fruition right right now. Forty two percent of millennials say they would they would like to live in a socialist country. That's scary. We'll take a time out. Paul L. Williams, Ph.D., journalist, author. His latest co-authored by Rodney Howard Brown is Killing the Planet, How a Financial Cartel Doomed Mankind. This is The Conspiracy Show. I'm Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Killing the Planet, How a Financial Cartel Doomed Mankind, co-author Uh, Paul L. Williams, Ph.D., is my guest for the hour. Coming up in the second hour, just a reminder, open lines. So have your stories, questions, queries, dissertations um, at the ready. You've got uh, 35 minutes to uh, to practice in front of a mirror. You were mentioning the the control of the education system. Uh, Are there Rockefeller subsidiaries that are responsible for writing the textbooks? Absolutely. The, the way that works is uh, the foundations. Once again, the foundations were created, uh, the Rockefeller Foundations, in the, in the, uh, right, before, right before and during World War I. And what they did was they began providing an incredible amount of funding to colleges, small colleges and large colleges throughout Canada and throughout the United States. And what, what would happen is the colleges would receive these benefactions 
from the Rockefeller Foundation for a year, two years, three years. And then finally, the fourth year, when they applied for the funding, they wouldn't get it. And they would say, well, you know, what's the problem? We need the funding right now because we're relying on it. We build all these new buildings. We have the, a new faculty. We have expanded our faculty. We've, uh, we need the money. And the Rockefeller Foundation inevitably said, oh, yeah, but, you know, you will receive the funding, but we just need something in return. We just need you to change your, your, your curricula in certain areas. We need you to uh, institute programs, not in history, but in social, social science. We need you to, uh, to develop new courses in anthropology rather than religion or philosophy. Uh, we, need, we need you to, to uh, change the head of your department here and, and, and there. We need to put a couple of members of our, of our foundation on your board. And eventually what they did by that, by that singular means is they gained control of all the, really, of all the colleges, the private colleges, and even the public uh, uh, institutions uh, in North America. I, I saw it. It, it. it happened in seminaries. What they, what they would do is they would fund seminaries, Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Drew, all, the Union, all the leading seminaries. Uh, and uh, the seminaries would receive the, the funding year after year after year, and then they, they, the people from the Rockefeller Foundation would come in and say, oh, by the way, you know, you, you're putting too much... Uh, emphasis in your in your courses on the supernatural on the supernatural acts of Jesus, for instance, and we would prefer if you just concentrated on the social gospel and you know we 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 really think that you know if you start to uh, to develop the idea that the the early Christians were lived uh, 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 as as communist uh, we would we would we would fund that course. And in that way, they gain control of all the university or the seminaries, and they they really, in that way, by educating. In the sense, the seminaries uh, are the way in which ministers were educated. They changed what was what was being preached from churches, you know, throughout throughout uh, throughout North America. That explains a lot because I I mentioned to you I grew up in the Methodist Church, the United Church now, oh, that, that, that and in uh, the Methodist Church, absolutely when they're. they're the Methodist seminaries, the leading Methodist seminaries, uh, Duke, Drew, here in the United States, completely relying on, on the Rockefeller Foundation. I've seen that. It makes a lot of sense now, uh, Paul, because what ha- what has happening is, and I left the Methodist Church, the United Church. I grew up in it. It was wonderful and instilled a wonderful sense of fellowship. It was a little weak on the worship side, but there was lots of fellowship. But what happened was you have all these... Um, United Church ministers now who are uh, preaching and there are a number of them that do not even subscribe to the divinity of oh, Christ. No, 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 no. Ab- absolutely, Richard. I've seen it. I've seen people in, uh, I've taught in seminaries throughout the, and I've seen people come in who are devout believers, believe, fervently believe in Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. I've seen Within one week, their faith shattered, and it's very easy. What they, what the professors do, is they'll say, well, the most important aspect of the life of Jesus is probably the resurrection. So look at the account in Matthew, and and then they say, what do you see in Matthew? Who was the first one that appeared at the tomb? What time of day was it? What did that one person? Who did that person? T- 
tell about the resurrection? What did they do? And they're, they're put down exactly what happened in Matthew, what exactly what happened in, in Mark, what, what exactly what happened in Luke, and what exactly what happened in John. And then they'll, they'll be all written in front of the students, and they'll say, notice how every aspect of these stories conflict with one another. And that shows you that the event never occurred. Mm-hmm. That's They're the sowing the seeds of doubt. That's what. That, that, that's so. And these people come out of of seminaries, and once again, it's, it serves the purpose of the, the foundation because they're promoting globalism and a one world religion, and this this suits their needs. So that, that, that by the end of their uh, their seminary education, they'll believe that any form of worship is equally efficacious, equally uh, e- equally mean- meaningful, uh, and that you know Christians have no real claim, exclusive claim on the truth. I've seen that. I've seen that time and time again. But it, it, it was all. It's all according. It was all set. This entire strategy was set by the Rockefellers. It's nefarious. But I've seen it done. <laughs> to say the least, to say the least. I would just want to back up a little bit and talk about the Pilgrim Society, and of course, oh, yeah. the Rockefellers are are uh, you know central to that. But there were other families, you know, the Morgans and so forth. Um, what was the purpose? I mean, on, uh, ostensibly, it was to do philanthropic work. But what were they doing behind the scenes? <clears throat> the, the, let, let's just cut to where, where the Pilgrim Society came from, and. Uh, in 1887, Cecil John Rhodes uh, formed the Society of the Elect, a secret society, to promote global government under British rule. And he formed the Society of the Elect with uh, Nathan Rothschild. And members of that society included the most influential people in England, Lord Reginald Brett, who was Queen Victoria's closest advisor, Lord Rosebery, who would become British, uh, Britain's Prime Minister, Arthur Balfour, or Lord Balfour, who would be, also become a Prime Minister, uh, uh, William Stead, who is Britain's leading uh, uh, journalist, uh, Alfred Milner, who would become Governor of, of South Africa. These, these were members of, and the, the, the Society of the Elect wanted to take control first of, they wanted to take control of Africa, and they instituted the Second Boer War which was very successful. They manipulated the whole thing. And the next step was to affect the reunion of the United States with Great Britain. That's what they wanted to do. And in order to do that, they, they morphed the members of the Society of the Elect, same people that we're talking about, except that uh, Rhodes was dead. Rothschild, Nathan Rothschild, Roseberry, Brett, Balfour, Stead, Milner, all these same people formed the Pilgrim Society in London, going back in 1902. Within six months, they formed the uh, Pilgrim Society in New York that met at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. The, the members of the uh, Pilgrim Society in London were the most powerful people in Britain. The members of the Pilgrim Society in New York were the most powerful people in America. J.P. Morgan, Andrew Carnegie, Cornelius Vanderbilt, William Howard Taft, who would become president shortly, uh, Grover Cleveland, who was the former president, Paul Warburg of Kuhn Loeb, uh, Nelson Aldrich, a senator, Mark Twain, hmm. John, 
Gandhi, Rockefeller, Vincent Astor. You know, the list goes on. But what they wanted to do is, number, number one thing, is they wanted to form an alliance between a, a, new, a new union between Great Britain and the United States. And the, 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 first, the first step in doing that, this, this, these are the pilgrims, was to create a central, central bank in the United States. And therefore, the same people that we're talking about are the people, the members of the Pilgrim Society went to Jekyll, Jekyll Island and created the Federal Reserve System. Right, that was rammed through uh, Congress during the Christmas break when many members were absent. Most right. never even read the bill. Mark Twain, uh, we're just about heading into the break here, but very quickly, do you, did Mark Twain know the sort of this, maybe the sinister motives, or was he just joining what he thought was a social club and something because he was interested in philanthropy? So no, Mark Twain. If you if you read Letters from the Earth, was was adamantly uh, opposed to Christianity, adamantly opposed to uh, America. Despite the fact that he wrote Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, he also wrote Innocence Abroad, in which you know he, he no he was a, a rabid Anglophile who wanted to bring about this this union. He was not a, a you know a red blooded Yank. All right, we'll uh, step away momentarily, come back. More of my conversation with Dr. Paul Williams, the co-author of Killing the Planets. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. There's smoke. There's the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Paul Williams, co-author of Killing the Planet. We're talking about the Rockefeller family, the Rockefeller Foundations. There is spider web of uh, control, manipulation, and um, you were mentioning the uh, the attempt to essentially get the colony back under British control. Right. That Mad, Mad King George III had lost in 1776, and so if we look at history sort of uh, through that lens, it's uh, an attempt to get the colony back. I'm wondering about your thoughts. We just passed the 56th anniversary of the assassination of JFK. Some see that as a, a coup d'état, an attempt to get the executive branch more firmly under control. Um, was that part of the 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 the, the, the pilgrim? Were the Pil- was the Pilgrim Society involved? Were the Rockefellers involved? Well, if I if, I, if you allow me to backtrack, one you know, so I can make that bridge. Uh, yes. What happened with the, the Pilgrim Society? You, you're dealing with an organization that was created in 1903, and uh, they brought about the, they created the uh, the Federal Reserve System. They 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 really instigated World War One. And at the end of World War One, they wanted to bring about the League of Nations so that a new a new global government. When that failed, the Pilgrim Society in London morphed into the Royal Institute of International Affairs, also known as the Chatham House. In the United States, the Pilgrim Society in New York morphed into the Council on Foreign Relations. The Council of Foreign Relations was controlled once again by these same, very same people 
Rockefeller Jr. And that organization, from that organization, and once again, they, when you're dealing with, that was created in, 19, in 1920, there were, le- there, were, there, were, there were less than 200 members. And yet, out of that organization, by, ne- by 2019, the United States has, has, has witnessed, from the Council of Foreign Relations, 20 secretaries of state, 19 secretaries of defense, 21 CIA directors, Every, almost every chairman of the Federal Reserve has come from that same pool. The Council on Foreign Relations is, is, is organized the same way the Pilgrim Society w- was organized, as a circle within a circle. There's an inner nucleus that controls the whole thing, that prepares policy uh, papers that are really eventually drafted into national policy and international policy. The CIA came from the Council on Foreign Relations, from the bowels of the United Nations came from the Council on Foreign Relations. So what, what, what took place once that, that, that organization was created and began to amass more and more political and economic power, uh, when you had a guy like Kennedy who decided to, 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 to take the uh, uh, control of the currency away from the Federal Reserve System, and to place it under the Department of the Treasury, under government control, right after he announces he, his plans to do that, I mean, he's dead. Well, right, you right. You have to look who are the shareholders of the, uh, uh, who are the shareholders of the Federal Reserve at that time, the major shareholders. Uh, also, who was controlling the State Department at that time? Who was controlling, you know, even who was controlling the press at that time? You see, if you, I was a member of the press. I wrote for the leading newspapers in the United States. And if you wanted to get, if you wanted to get the inside news, Richard, you couldn't get it by, you know, talking to you or talking. This is in the day now. I'm 75. But as a, as a journalist, as a, as a, as a journalist who was hired by leading news agencies, you had to go to the, you had to go to the Pratt House in New York, the Council on Foreign Relations. You had to get entry in there in order to find out what was going on within the country. Because the, the, all the rich and powerful industrialists, bankers, businessmen, politicians all gathered there. If you didn't have entry to the Council on Foreign Relations, you didn't have a story. They controlled the press. They controlled what news was, was released, uh, what was printed. Uh, the, 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 the editors and the publishers of every leading newspaper in Canada in the United States was related to the to the Pratt House to the Council on Foreign Relations. So you got to realize that they had that that kind of power. So when Kennedy, I mean Kennedy was compared with the the power that this cartel has, the power of any uh, president or any politician is m- minuscule. So uh, yes. Yeah, he's a ceremonial ribbon cutter by comparison. I mean, they can overnight, all they need to do, just, just, just the shareholders of the Fed. Once again, look who owns the Fed. It's not the American people. It's owned by international bankers. If they want to bring about a, uh, a depression, all they need to do is cut, cut back in the money supply. It's very easy. And by the way, they did that. And that was an enormous benefit for the Rockefellers, the Great Depression. They engineered that whole thing. And at the end of the Great Depression, they could move in and buy the leading corporations in the United States for pennies on the dollar. Right. It all happened. Right. 
You know, they own the entire monopoly board. One has to ask, you know, what's left? What's left for them to own? You see, well, you see it even in in my industry. Uh, They they control everything is everything is consolidating now. Teddy Roosevelt broke or busted the trust, but the trusts are back now. You got to realize that every even in the publishing industry, in the day you had uh, Bantam, Doubleday, Dell, uh, Random House, Penguin, all these, they're all consolidated now. It's all one yep. firm, one editorial board, controlled by the same people. You see consolidation in everything, in everything. All right, all right. Uh, we'll uh, take one final time out, come back, and uh, finish up with uh, Paul L. Williams, the co-author of Killing the Planet. We'll talk about David Rockefeller. Did you know, this is something I've heard, dear listener, that when the Queen would make an official visit to the United States... She wouldn't visit the president first. First, she would visit David Rockefeller. At least that's what I've been told. We'll get uh, Paul Williams to confirm or deny on the other side. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We are back with Paul L. Williams, Ph.D., and the co-author of Killing the Planet. Uh, I mentioned that uh, that legend uh, going into the, uh, the break. I've heard that repeatedly. Is it true that when the Queen of England would come to the United States, her first visit would be to see David Rockefeller? Have you heard that? I, I, I have I have heard that and I believe that, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, <clears throat> David Rockefeller was the founder of the Bilderberg Group, which was established in 1954. Uh, the Bilderberg Group, it, the, the purpose of the Bilderberg Group was to unite all the world into one economic entity, and especially to create Eurasia. Uh, the, a leading member of the Bilderberg Group almost from the get-go, is Prince Philip, the husband of Queen Elizabeth. So I, 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 they are so tight with the Rockefellers that, you, you know, they're, they're, they're as close as, as any, 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 any people on the planet can be. So I would say absolutely, if he was visiting the United States, he would immediately stop at Rockefeller Center and visit David Rockefeller or Chase Manhattan Bank. And visit David Rockefeller. There's another story I've been told. Uh, this comes from, among others, Daniel Estulin, who has written extensively about the Bilderbergs, and and yeah. he talks about a Bilderberg meeting in 1991, uh, where a young Arkansas governor, former Arkansas uh-huh. governor Bill Clinton, was in attendance. Right. Bill Clinton was introduced to David Rockefeller. Right. Uh, David Rockefeller proceeded to give. Uh, uh, William Jefferson Clinton, sort of a master's class on globalism, after which he asked Clinton, do you agree or disagree? He said, I'm all in. And Rockefeller supposedly extended his hand and said, congratulations, Mr. President. Uh, 
is that apocryphal? Is that true? Well, <clears throat> look, they, the, absolutely. I mean, they 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 have they have controlled almost every election that we've had in the United States. They they've controlled they they control education. They can they control the Supreme Court. They control. People listening to this would think this is really crazy. But look at money controls everything. If you want to understand, if you want to understand a development, you always have to follow the money, and the money inevitably leads back to the Rockefeller family. So right. yes, yes, I, 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 the, the relationship between the Clintons, uh, the Bushes, the uh, Obama with the with the. Uh, and even Trump, with the Rockefellers, is very, very deep. Is there a countervailing force? Is there, a, let's say, a dynasty in opposition to the Rockefellers uh, that I mean, that are they're sort of the two are battling behind the scenes, and occasionally it kind of spills out onto the main stage. <clears throat> no, what you had was in in 1998, you had the uh, merger of Amico. With BP, that that represented people probably the most significant, one of the most significant developments of the 20th century. That was the merger of the Rothschilds with the Rockefellers, Amico ah. with BP, and <clears throat> what, that that merger took place because really the Rockefellers became infinitely more powerful. The United States became infinitely more powerful than Great Britain. Right. Now, on the surface, uh, uh, Trump seems to be the antithesis of what the Pilgrim Society and the Rockefellers want. He talks about America first. He talks about yeah. tariffs. He talks about borders. He talks about the nation state. Um, well, and you look at tariff, who's in, who stands in opposition. They're done away with. The, uh, uh, the, uh, Rex Torson, who was his uh, first secretary of state, was a, of course, before he was appointed, was the executive director of Exxon. Uh, you, you see things that, that are promised that are never delivered. You know, we're going to build a wall, we're going to do this, we're going to pull out of the endless wars, and yet the endless wars go on. Hmm. We're going to, we're, we're going to take control of the CIA, and yet the CIA is still under the control of, you know, the money cartel. Now, I, 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 Richard, I, I, I had a, 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 some hope in my life for a real change, but that change hasn't taken place. I mean, there's a lot of there's there's a, there's, there's a, a, a lot right now of uh, you know uh, a resurgence of nationalism, but no real change. How do we fight back, or is it too late? The, the way. <laughs> You see, the forces are all pushing toward a global government. We're seeing more and more of that coming to fruition. Uh, and I see it with the laws concerning uh, climate change, for instance, that are now being imposed on all nations. You see organizations like the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. And the, how, do you, how do you combat all that? How do you combat all that? How do you combat the globalization of poverty that's taking place in Canada and the United States? We're saying, oh, that's not, oh, yes, it is. Because the industries are going to the third world. How do you combat that? 
How do you combat the endless wars that are going on and on and on and have gone on for generation that, that really have no... no People even know that they were created by false flags, by bogus news, and yet nobody, nobody, nobody cries out against it. It sounds and like they have everything locked down. Is there any hope here, Paul? At all. I, I, I think that the the, the first way it could, it, it, that that hope could be it would, would be uh, if we could get if we could get control of education where people are really learning something. If we could, if 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 people, believers could take control of their churches, if local people on the, the like you, and people that that get involved in Canadian politics, that believe and that know that exactly what's taking place, if they would do that, if they would engage, yeah, that's where the hope is. But the hope is not with the people who are funded to run for office. Boy, that sounds like a pretty daunting, almost impossible task. So, yeah, I, I, that, that is the only hope. You get a show like, like this, where, where, where we're talking, and people, a lot of people will just dismiss this, but some people might actually pick up a copy of that book. I'm not making a dime on the book, by the way. All the proceeds go to the River School of Government. But if they could just get a copy of the book and read it and find out what's going on and saying, I'm going to change this. Locally, that's where it starts. Right, killing the planet. Uh, you mentioned that you know people might sit back and say, "Well, this is too unbelievable." Talk to me about the documentation, the amount of footnoting you've done here. It, 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 to write a book like this, to, uh, I, 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 I can't even. Tell you. I'm an obsessive compulsive, so uh, I, I will I will work maybe 16 hours a day, and when I'm and I don't I don't sleep. So I go through the, 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 the there, there are over fifteen there's over fifteen hundred footnotes in that book, and they're all to primary sources. The, the, at the end of the book of Killing the Planet is a classified CIA document. I thought I'd be arrested by now. There's a classified CIA document at the end of that 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 should that should drop the scales from anyone's eyes at the end of that book. Wow. Um, and also, people need to should understand. You know, you just can't uh, put a book out there that's just filled with innuendo and speculation. You have to have a book like that lawyered, right? Well, first of all, I mean, I've been sued. I've been sued in Canada for. I've been and I prevailed. I was sued by leading figures in Canada. I don't know if you're aware of this, Richard. I was sued for twelve million dollars. But I think Master University, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> look, at, I don't have anything. I mean, I used all my funds. When they when they came after me, I said, hell no, I'm, I'm going to fight back. And I did, and I prevailed. And if I could do that, you know, then, you know, I mean, a lot, there still is hope. But, yeah, in a book like this, you have to have, you have to have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed, because you're going against people with a great deal of money who could crush you, you know, you have to be prepared for that. So the book has to be very well documented. I mean, everything has to be documented. Every sentence has to be documented, and it has to be very well vetted. You didn't have to. And how do read. how do folks get a hold of a copy of Killing the Planet, Paul? Oh, you could get it from any book, uh, you know, major book outlet, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. What's in it, the huge, the, the huge book outlet? Uh, Indigo, Indigo. Yeah, 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 Indigo, right. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah, it'll be available anywhere. All right, and we've linked up to that at strangeplanet.ca. If you want to just click on the book title, I think it but links up to uh, to Amazon. I leave you is how important a show like yours is. They're not. They're very few and far between. They're very few. Get, they're very few hosts who are as well educated, well informed as you are. And I, I've been on hundreds and hundreds of shows, and this show is very important. And uh, oh, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. And it's uh, always a delight. Let's uh, talk again soon. Okay, my friend. Paul L. Williams, Killing the Planet. All right. When we come back, open lines. We'll roll out those numbers in just a moment. I'll be waiting for your call right here on The Conspiracy Show. <laughs> 